0: Hello beautiful listeners. I hope everybody's off to a great start to the new year. We're now in mid-February. I was off to a great start, then all of a sudden last week, my baby wasn't smiling like she usually does. And she wasn't squirming around, and that's what she does constantly. She didn't say dada three times fast like she usually does. So we knew something was up. We called the doctor, but thankfully whatever illness she had only lasted less than 24 hours. But what do you know, next day, the wife and I wake up with a sore throat. We get test kits from Walgreens and test positive for COVID. And it wiped us out. I was sleeping a lot, like 16-hour days a lot. I'd go to bed before 9, wake up next morning at, say, 7 a.m., and then I was back in bed at 7.45 and not waking up until almost 2 o'clock in the afternoon. My throat was like razor blades when I would swallow. I had terrible headaches. The wife had fever as much as 103. But even worse than that, she was having night sweats, which apparently is a symptom exclusive to this Omicron variant, which is so contagious. If you're listening and you haven't had it, chances are you're going to get it. But the good news is we were able to treat it with basic stuff. She took a leave. I would gargle salt water. We drank lots of tea with honey. I would eat oatmeal, grits, and that's about it. I'd eat one meal a day, and it would either be oatmeal or grits. I felt exhausted all the time, like not even up to taking the trash out. But by the grace of God, it ran its course pretty quickly. So from the day I started feeling like dick in a can, which was Monday afternoon, early evening, till I no longer had symptoms, that was... I was back in action Friday. So that's an update on me. Baby and mama are doing great. Thank you listeners who sent thoughts and prayers. Those were much appreciated, as is your listenership in general. I'm so glad that you're here listening. Something else I want to mention before I tell you about my awesome guest today. We're currently in Houston, staying at an Airbnb, and this gives my in-laws a chance to see more of Bebe. My dad and stepmom are just north of Houston in Conroe. We always enjoy seeing them. Both came to our baby's first birthday party, which she loved. My little girl loved, especially that first taste of sugar. Can you imagine? She didn't even dig deep enough to get to the cake. She just ate around the edges, all icing. You sing, I sing. We all sing for icing. I want to take a few minutes to thank the folks in Louisiana, the people of South Louisiana. I know I say this a lot, but you're the best people on earth. And I hope that means a little more coming from me because I've been to the far corners of the earth. But we've lived in Louisiana for the past 14 months. We've been made to feel right at home, which I actually expected. But the way we were embraced, the way they welcomed my wife in the neighborhood, the love shown to baby girl by not just the neighborhood where we lived, which is called Algiers Point, But from my friends that I've held on to for many years, for obvious reasons, I've held on to them. I say this a lot. I'll continue to say it. You will not meet better people in the world than those in South Louisiana. And I hope that means a little more coming from me, like I said. I can compare Cajuns to the Thais, for example, or the Japanese, two places where we were treated very warmly. Interesting that a person from Thailand is a Thai but you can't call someone from Japan a Jap. That would be a racial slur, of course. One for which Bill Parcells got in trouble back in 2004. Remember that? He was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys at that time, and I'll paraphrase, he was making the point that the Cowboys had what he called, quote, Jap plays, which is how he referred to their surprise plays, tying that, of course, to the Pearl Harbor attack in 1941, which is what got the U.S. into World War II. Would you like some sports trivia? Who was Bill Parcells' assistant head coach at that time? I'll give you a hint. In addition to being the assistant head coach, he was also the quarterback's coach, and so he was responsible for, or at least played an integral role in, getting a relatively unknown free agent quarterback who just finished his career at Eastern Illinois to the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm sure that gives away the player for many of you there. I'm talking about Tony Romo, who I imagine younger generations will always know as an NFL analyst or commentator, the same way my age group knew John Madden as a color commentator only, while our dads knew him as the Oakland Raiders coach. Or as my wife said, the day he died, isn't he the guy on the video games? (laughs) Indeed. But he was a heck of a coach, too. Do you know he holds the record for winning percentage among coaches who coached in a minimum of 100 games? That is impressive. Because he was an even better color commentator. And how many of us were obsessed with the video game that he lent his name to? I'd I'd count myself in that group. But going back to Romo, I say he was a relative unknown. Because one, he went undrafted, and two, he came from the 1AA ranks. But he was actually the 1AA Player of the Year his senior season at Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois also produced another solid NFL quarterback by the name of Jimmy Garoppolo of the 49ers. I think they may be leaning toward giving up on him soon, though. Time will tell. If this year's playoffs has proved anything, it's that the quarterback position continues to become more and more important with each passing year. And if the Niners have aspirations of going further into the playoffs, they're going to need more production out of that position. We still haven't answered the trivia question, I realize, which was, who was Parcell's assistant head coach and quarterback's coach in Dallas when he was forced to issue an apology for what he called his surprise plays? The answer, a young coach by the name of Sean Payton. So you may find this interesting, too. When Sean Payton got to New Orleans in 2006, this was his first head coaching job. The team he inherited was the second worst in football. They had gone 3-13 and 13 the year prior, which you might remember was the year the Saints really didn't have a home because of Hurricane Katrina. The Superdome had sustained damage. They played their home games at LSU Stadium or uh, San Antonio. It was a real mess. Meanwhile, back in Dallas... Romo still wasn't the starter. He was on the depth charts that had Vinny Testaverdi, Drew Bledsoe, and even Drew Henson, who we've mentioned on this podcast before. So Peyton arrives in New Orleans in January 2016 and offers Dallas a third round pick for Tony Romo. But Jerry Jones refused, said he wanted a second round pick for Romo who did end up starting 10 games in 06 and go on to become the franchise quarterback thereafter. But fortunately for the Saints, they were able to sign a pretty good quarterback in March of that same year, uh, 2006. His name was Drew Brees. My guest today is a fascinating man. His name is Mr. Donald Sperrier. He's a 96-year-old World War II veteran. After the war, he worked as a mechanical engineer here in New Orleans he talks about what was the highlight of his career, getting to work on what he called the moonshot. So when he'd heard we were going to go to the moon, he said he had to figure out a way to work on that project, and he did. Something I asked him about is how unlucky it was to be born in 1926, which he was. That meant turning 18 in 1944, which of course was the height of World War II, and how he had to anticipate from age, let's say, 14, 15, when the war started, that he was likely going to be part of the war effort, probably either fighting in freezing temperatures in Europe, or worse, in the jungles of the Pacific theater of war. I ask if he took part in the baby boom after the war. Short answer is he did not. Mr. Sperrier has managed to remain single and childless by choice his entire life. He says he has no regrets about not having a family of his own. Fascinating man. These days, he's, he's as sharp as they come. We talk about life and how it's evolved. Imagine all the changes he's seen in his 96 years. He still remembers his first television set, JFK getting shot. And his entire family, when he was a kid, he had four siblings, lived in the same half a shotgun house that he lives in to this day, some 90 years later it has one bathroom. He still drives, he drinks coffee on his porch, sometimes staying in his robe till 2 p.m., and he chats with the neighbors, he goes to Catholic Mass every Sunday, and his niece told me how generous he's been through the years toward his family, for example, making sure his nieces and nephews have cars for college or paying for tuition, that sort of thing. He always had well-paying jobs, and without a family of his own, he wanted to Share, and he's done a lot of sharing. I loved this discussion. We have a lot of laughs. We get into his world travels and his admiration for honeys and bikinis. He said he went to Rio de Janeiro one time, frothing at the mouth, anticipating all the beautiful babies he was going to see. That's a great story. I'll let him share. And of course, we do fun questions at the end. Oh, not to mention, we talk about whether Mr. Spurrier fears death at all, what he believes happens after you die. I found that very interesting, and that's all I'm going to tell you. You'll have to hear the rest for yourself. Truly one-of-a-kind episode. Please enjoy this one as much as I did, folks. Here's my chat with Mr. Donald Spurrier. Mr. Spurrier, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. This is a beautiful day in New Orleans. When I came over to pick you up this afternoon, you were still in your robe. Do you stay in your robe typically until 2 p.m.? Just about. (laughs) (laughs) And there was a coffee cup on the swing. I imagine you were still drinking coffee at two. Yes. That's great. Walk me through your typical day, if you don't mind.
1: Well, I get up and uh, go take care of my needs in the bathroom. And then I'll go into
0: the kitchen and get my cup of coffee. (laughs) You have a favorite kind of coffee? The cheapest. <laughs> really? So is that Folgers typically?
1: No. It's a brand I never did hear of, to be honest with you, but it's cheap. And, mm-hmm. that's a, and I, I'm thinking I'm going to change because I uh, the, the taste isn't as good. Well, what could you expect for a cheap coffee? you know? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so my dad is the same way. He's mm. drank Folgers for as long as I can remember. And when I go to his house now, He's just recently retired. I know he can afford the finest Starbucks coffee if he wanted to, but he is frugal-minded. The frugal-mindedness has been passed down. I've got it too. My wife my wife and I were able to retire and travel at a young age because I saved and invested a large portion of my income. Would you say that it sounds like you're pretty frugal-minded yourself? Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Do you think that stems from growing up one of, didn't you have five siblings?
1: Yes, and in the middle of the Depression, mm-hmm. so many more were laid off and jobs were hard. The budget was tight. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Did you
1: live in a big house or no? No, no, a half of a shotgun double, you know, that right there where you came, to, that that was a family house.
0: You, know? you lived growing up in the house that I just picked you up from? yes. Wow yep.
1: but well until I, I was there until uh, high school but then after high school the wall was on and uh, the the draft board was breathing down my neck I graduated from high school in in midterm in February but I made eighteen in April so I had from February to April to scout around to see where I could get the best deal because I knew otherwise I just should be drafted and be a dog face, you know, and I didn't want
0: that, you know. And so what were you looking for? What was the best deal? Well, the, the best deal, I couldn't get in. <laughs> I,
1: uh, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to be a naval aviation pilot, land on carriers, and I went to the recruiting office, and there was a two-and-a-half striper in there, and he I told him what I wanted. He says, oh, yeah, you're just what we're looking for, you know. And uh, they gave me a colored blind test, and I kept seeing the wrong numbers. I don't know if you're familiar with a colored blind test, but it's a book full of dots. If you're colored blind, you see one number. If you're not colored blind, you see a a different number. And I can still remember that. I wanted to get in because I wanted to fly off the carriers, and his two and a half striper, he wanted to get me in, so he had his pencil, or pen, and he'd say, "Son, it, when you look at the colored blind book, all these dots. If you're colored blind, you see one number. If you're not colored blind, you see another number." Well, he was circling. He'd say, "You don't see that eight right there?" And he took pencil, his pen, and circled it. I said, eight, eight. So anyway, we faked it. We we faked it, but then they ca- it caught up with me later on in the so in the physicals. Yeah.
0: Oh, they faked it to get you to advance to yeah. the next round. Yeah. And then the physical. Later on, they caught it. Caught it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: probably was a good thing because it'd been a terrible thing if I tried to land on a carrier. The guy's giving me
0: signals with one colored flag, and I'm seeing another one. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But Mm. you guys that wanted to do that were hard to come by, I imagine, for the war because that's as dangerous as it gets, huh? Fighter pilot?
1: Well, I guess... But that would beat dogface in a trench. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what happens next? Well, I couldn't get in the uh, Naval Air Force. So uh, I went shopping and... uh, the best deal I could get was the uh, uh, Merch Marine Cadet Corps. And that was, they trained, you trained off the officers in the, uh, the Merch Marine. I went through that, went through all the preliminaries and everything, and I got into that. And I went to a basic school, Merch Marine basic school that was in Pass Christian, Mississippi. It was normally a four-year course, but for the water had cut it down to two years And everything was half then, the basic training instead of being a, it was a year of basic training, and then a year at sea, and then two years at the academy, Kings Point in New York. But for the war, they cut it down into half. It was six months basic training, six months at sea, and a year at the academy in New York. I I got into that, and I went to my basic training out at Pass Christian, Mississippi, they had a basic training school over there, and that was a kick because uh, in the summer, we used to wear these uh, military shorts, khaki shorts, you know, and it, there was a train track that would pull right near the school, see? Well, all these draftees and everything in in the train, it stopped there for a while, lean out, see all these guys running around in short pants, you know, and but man, we'd, we'd dream all kinds of stories. Oh, no, man, we're we're staying and we, we're going to be native troops in the, uh, in the desert. We're going to be desert troops, you know, all kind of, all kind of BS. But anyway, that went on. And uh, finally, I, I, f- I finished my, uh, six months basic. And then I went to sea as a cadet for six months and then up to, uh, Kings point for my year. And, uh, all of, for for me, it was pretty good. It was pretty good because uh, now I did travel in convoys. In the convoys, as a cadet, a few times we, we came under attack. I mean, uh, we had uh, escort ships. Most of them, uh, they were just either destroyers or uh, little. Uh, they they called them corvettes. They came. They were Canadian. It was much smaller than a than a destroyer, but they used them primarily as escorts for uh, convoys. Anyway, we uh, there were four four cadets in a in a room on the and I was on a T2 tanker when when they were signing ships leaving basic school. Uh, I got mine and it was a T2 tanker, brand spanking new out of the yard in Mobile, Alabama. I went over to Mobile and picked the ship up there. And then from there, we, we went around, left uh, Mobile, and came around, one round Florida. Now, believe it or not, even at that time in the war, we had an escort. We had a, a little escort, which was anti-submarine. You know, it could dump uh, depth charges. But it was a small, little, small thing. And it followed us around, around Florida and up the coast into uh, New Jersey where well, we left that and then came around into New York Harbor and joined the convoy there now the uh, when we the convoy was made up and we started leaving uh, New York Harbor well the escorts came down from Canada and they were little uh, corvettes little uh, it was which is a small like a small a much much smaller destroyer as escorts for the uh, for the convoy and we went across. With that, with the escorts, well, into England, mm. went into Singapore in England, Discharge the uh... the cargo. And I'm I didn't make too many trips because all I had is a uh, three months deployment for the uh, for the sea duty before I'd go back up to King's Point. So, so after one or two trips over, I went back and off the ship and up to a Kings Point in New York. Now that that was heaven on earth, man yeah If you can imagine it that the wars on all the 19 20 year olds were in the service and away from home, we could catch the, the uh, Long Island Railroad and go into New York and believe you me, every every weekend we were into New York, but the situation was such that a young man in uniform I remember one time getting off the subway and walking up the steps and there were about four young women coming down the other side of the steps. Well, I'm going down and they're coming uh they're they're going down we're both i don't know what anyway the the steps were opposite floors. And I there was a little brief passage there where I nodded over and uh beginning of the day. They went up to the other end and said, Came back down and were coming back down. <laughs> I don't know whether they were gonna undress me or what. <laughs> I said, I gotta get out of here. But this is the first time I've been chased by a bunch of gals, man. Yeah. yeah. But that's that's what the situation how bad the situation was for men, young men in uh, in New York. How bad the situation yeah, was. Yeah, how bad it was. Yeah. You would catch catch the uh The sub, not the subway. It was the Long Island Railroad back out to uh, in when the weekend was over, because we had to get back to uh, classes for uh, Monday morning. So that that was a good year. I mean it. I mean it was so nice to be wanted. (laughs) Yeah. When I left Kings Point, whether I think the war was over by then, but. I needed a job. I had to go to work, and hell, I was trained for the engine room of a ship to, uh, and I think I went to sea. Yeah, that's what I was. I I wanted because there was some college credits from Kings Point, but we didn't complete a whole year, so you know, and I wanted to get the rest of those credits so I could get a a college degree. You know, and uh, so I went to sea, came back to. uh, New Orleans, and uh, you had to you had to join the union to uh, go to sea on a ship, the Maritime Union, and uh, I did. I went down and when you'd go down to Union Hall, they'd post all the ships on a on a a blackboard, and you could look down there and see how it fitted your schedule. And if one will, and you'd go down to the ship. And see if, they'd ha- if they had already, if that opening was still open, and if it was, well, you'd sign up. You'd sign articles on the ship, and if you signed the articles, and you were bound for that ship until it came back and touched the uh, shore, you shores because you uh, otherwise you'd be jumping ship. It, you hit a foreign port, and you met some lo- you lovely young lady, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I, I went to see. And I saved my money, and uh, I went to sea for about a year, and then went up to uh, LSU in Baton Rouge to get the rest of the
0: credits I needed
1: so I could have a complete and get the degree, a college degree.
0: In what? what? What was your degree in?
1: The degree was in mechanical engineering.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But when you left to go out to sea, you had no idea that it was going to be a year. It could have been two years. It could have been three years.
1: Uh, usually, you had they had a pretty good idea when you looked on the board in the Union of when the ship would sail and when it was due back in the... Uh, so you had a pretty good idea. And now, a couple of times when I was up at uh, in Baton Rouge at LSU, I was sweating it out because I was still at sea, and the semester was going to start...
0: Fall semester.
1: Fall semester. And I would to get my behind back here, so I could get back into, and one ship I was on, and it came back in, and it was due to come back to New Orleans, but instead, we got orders to go to uh, East Coast, Baltimore. And so I got off the ship, man, I beated my behind up to the captain's office and said, man, I need a, give me a big draw on my pay, because I got to get back to Baton Rouge. <laughs> and so I did, and I, I I don't know whether I caught a plane, but anyway, I got back to Baton Rouge as fast as I could to register before that fall semester started, you know, and it it made out all right, but it was close. It was close. Mm.
0: So the timing Mm. of your, you were born in 26, so you're Mm. 18 in 1944. Mm -hmm. The war pretty much ended in 45, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Were you overjoyed when you heard that? We had dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and all of that because you and knew that there was no longer any chance. That was it,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I was relieved. Yeah. Relieved, yeah. Mm-hmm. Were there parties to attend? Oh, and God, man. It, New York women climbing flagpoles
0: taking off all their clothes, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Just excited to have all the men back. and It was over, man. It was over, man. And that's why they called it the baby boom, right? Because people yeah, just couldn't yeah, keep their yeah, hands off each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, gee, man. <laughs> so did you partake in the baby boom? Did you start a family shortly thereafter? Did you meet a young gal? No, no, I, uh, I'm trying to, you're making me
1: dredge now. Give me a chance to think. Sure. Because I'm Take trying your to, time. to bring back memories from, uh, well, hell, that was, uh, When was the war over? Seventy,
0: 75 years ago? Yeah. Well, were you a bachelor into your 30s or did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? I never did
1: marry. I'm still a bachelor. Get out of
0: here. Never married.
1: Never married.
0: Never married? No. No. Surely everybody around you was getting married. How were you able to to hold out? Was it just the the variety that you couldn't get your fill of? Maybe there were too many. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: after I uh, I graduated and had a, a mechanical engineering degree, I went to work, took several jobs that I w- really wasn't too happy with, but I ended up going to work Pratt and Whitney. They made uh, airplane uh, engines okay. in uh, it was Hartford, Connecticut. When they'd make the engines, they'd put them into a, uh, a, a experimental test a cell, but it was concrete because if 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 the damn engine exploded or anything, then the parts gonna. Af- <clears throat> so for protection, the the test cell, and it was pretty thick concrete in that event that the engine would explode, and it had glass windows, and you could look in see the engine, and you'd see a board where, where you could tell what was going on inside of the engine. And so I did that in, for a while, an experimental test engineer hmm. for uh, Pratt and & Whitney. And then I got word, word came that uh, they were going to go to the moon. They were going to go to the moon, mm-hmm. yeah. And the rocket was going to be built out here at Michou. New Orleans? New Orleans, outside of New Orleans. And I said, oh, gee, man, i got to be a part of that. So I left Pratt and Whitney, and I came back down here and got a job with uh, Chrysler. Chrysler was a subcontractor out there for building the, uh, the Saturn missile. And It was a primary missile. And then for, to go to the moon, they clustered it into five, uh, five a cluster of five of them to uh, take the capsule of the uh, men to the moon so what year is this roughly <sighs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, give me a time I'm, it'll it'll come to me when did when did they land on the moon
0: i mean you with know. well, jfk it was it was his big idea right we were going to mm-hmm. go to the moon he mm-hmm. died november 63 yeah was he wasn't in office when we landed on the moon was he no, I think he was assassinated, huh? Riding in a limo yeah. with his wife. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that day?
1: Yeah, I remember it. Uh, uh, and who was the guy with the rifle? In a, he was in a window or something, and, and as the limos passed, he shot him? Mm-hmm. Or they blamed him? Oswald. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon on July 20th 1969 69. so it wasn't until the end of the 60s yeah mm. but i believe it was jfk's vision so that would have started early 60s mm. so you maybe you caught wind of this mm. idea early 60s mm. got to michu so you could yeah. be a part of it yeah and that was exciting it oh, got you gosh. out of bed every day
1: oh yeah that yeah that was um, um. Trying to bring back memories of that, the Saturn rocket. It was built out there at Michoud, but all of the design and everything came from uh, Alabama, von Braun. They had kidnapped, we had kidnapped him <laughs> after the war when uh, they sent, because they wanted von Braun because he, he, he was with the German missile program. And we didn't want him to go with the. In, in fact, he, I think he rounded up some of his associates and they walked across the line and everything in Europe where the, the, to leave the Germans. He wanted to surrender, but he
0: wanted to surrender to the U.S. He like at Checkpoint Charlie, maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where the East and West Berlin... It wasn't Berlin. no
1: this I don't think it was anything official because they'd, they'd, they'd have scooped him up and sent him back if they knew it was von Braun. They, they wanted him because he was headed M missile, the ones that they were firing at England. I don't know what those were, but uh, anyway, they were they were shooting missiles at England at London. They got von Braun, and, and I almost met him because when I was working for Chrysler, we were in a design section there at um, Mishu. he walked through, he came visiting, and everybody was shaking his hand, you know. I got up and turned from my desk and, damn it, he had already mm-hmm. gone by. I didn't get a chance to
0: say, well, I shook von Braun's hand. Uh, <laughs> you know? He was a big deal at the time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Werner von Braun, Ger- German-American aerospace engineer. He was the leading figure in the development of rocket technology in Nazi Germany and a pioneer of rocket and space technology in the United States. Yes. Okay, so he was born 1912 in Poland. He died in 1977 in Alexandria, Virginia, which is real close to D.C. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they had uh, their headquarters in Alabama. Mm Mm-hmm. He was best known for NASA engineering program manager and chief architect of the Apollo Saturn V rocket and development of the V two rocket. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well the V two is that that was German.
0: Okay. Yeah, his allegiance was to Nazi Germany and he's he's served in the SS from thirty seven to forty five, nineteen forty-five. 1945. Mm-hmm. But you're saying after that, if we were going to go to the moon, we, we kidnapped him, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that he could be part of of our mission to the moon. In 1960, his group was assimilated into NASA, where he served as director of the newly formed Marshall Space Flight Center and as chief chief architect of the Saturn V super heavy lift launch vehicle that propelled the Apollo spacecraft to the moon. Yeah. hmm In 67, von Braun was inducted into the National Academy of Engineering, and in 75, received the National Medal of Science. And then he advocated a human mission to Mars, which I don't think that's happened yet, huh? They're working on it though. Still working on it. Yeah, they got. There's a lot of guys that are itching, you know.
1: Well, well, they wouldn't get me on that because they'd make the one trip to get them there, yeah. get them back. So, now, yeah. so
0: if you were that age again, if we were in the early 60s, mm-hmm. a trip to Mars isn't something that would excite you to get you to meet you to, to work on that sort of project?
1: I might work on a project, but I'd be damned if I'd be in that missile going there. <laughs> you know? Well, what about the moon? Would you have gone to the moon? Maybe I'd go to the moon because it get. Because they got to the moon and
0: back, you know. But did you know that they were going to be able to get to the moon and back? No, no. no. We didn't do like a test flight with a monkey in it or anything? Oh, gosh, yeah. Man, there was lots of... Mm. Ham was the name of the monkey that they put... (laughs) Mm. Von Braun was was diagnosed with kidney cancer during a routine medical exam Mm -hmm. in 1973. Mm. But he continued to work... In January 77, now very ill, he resigned from Fairchild Industries. Later in 77, President Gerald Ford awarded him the country's highest science honor, the National Medal of Science and Engineering. Mm-hmm. However, he was too ill to attend the White House ceremony and died in June of 77 of pancreatic cancer in Alexandria, Virginia. He was only 65 when he died. Yeah, well
1: it might have been too i mean uh during the war years the food and stuff that they had in in germany you know i don't know i'm just guessing you know that uh it, the diet what it was in uh in
0: germany before the end of the war oh it wasn't as good he yeah. aspired to get to better places oh yeah he we- And if you can join a winner, the the buffets were probably (laughs) (laughs) overfilled. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So you're in Michu. Your friends surely were getting married at a young age, I imagine, Mm -hmm. during this baby boom generation. I stood in some of the weddings. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. Also, too, from my maritime training from, from Kings Point, I had an itch, you know. I went down and I caught a ship, because I remember going to the Union Hall, catching the ship, and I saw one going around the world. And I caught it. And I caught it in, out of New Orleans, and we went south around uh, South America, and we stopped in uh, that island, uh, that uh, Madagascar, off, off the southern coast of... Uh, off the eastern, southeastern coast of Africa. Yeah. yeah. We stopped there. And then went from there up to, uh, I think it was Bombay. India? India. That's where we were taking food stuff from. That's where pe- people were starving, you know? We discharged the food stuff. And then from uh, India, uh, Bombay came around, and I went to uh, Hong Kong. From there, caught a ship back to uh, San Francisco. Mm. Make sure the- you're a
0: fish <laughs> from the mic yeah
1: oh i'm sorry yeah
0: and still a bachelor do you have anybody that you're writing letters with or anything no no i'm too old now (laughs) in your 90s oh no i'm talking about back then were you corresponding with with women because it surprises me that you didn't you weren't part of the baby boom like everybody else yeah no no
1: i didn't uh I guess I didn't want to be tied down. Mm. But uh, I remember we, we came back, and uh, I think it was Hong Kong. It was a terrific place to, to buy things. Was, uh, the market, they had everything in the world on, on sale for the market, and I bought a whole lot of uh, hi-fi music equipment. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I remember I bought a, whole, a nice turntable. And the, uh, the amplifier and the big speakers, <laughs> and a complete set of real hi fi music equipment. And I put it all in, had it all come back and put it all in under the, the tween decks of the ship that I was on and brought it back to, uh, San Francisco. And then in, in San Francisco and then, to get it home, I was afraid if I put it on a, a freight car, a railroad car, it wouldn't be cared for. So I took it down, all down. This was still all boxed up, to a, a Greyhound bus station. And I put it on a, a Greyhound bus coming to New Orleans. <laughs> After that, I flew home and then had to go down to the bus station to see if my, my stuff had come in yet. Mm-hmm. Went down to the bus station
0: and, and picked it all up, put it in the car and brought it home. So you were frugal minded, but you saw a deal in Hong Kong that you couldn't pass up. And you're a- right, right. All yeah. of that and high five, I remember the the
1: speakers the, the the Sansui speakers. Well I still have them. Wow. And the turntable, I I'm I'm not remember what the turntable was. But uh Anyway, it was a complete set of uh, good hi-fi music equipment, you know. Do you still use them? The amplifiers, it needs attention. I don't know if it can mm. be fixed or not. I mean, mm. I'm going to have to take it out because they won't come to your house and fix it. I'm going to have to take it and, and in. In the back of it, you got all these connections, you know, and I said, Lord, if I... I'll have to label all of them because if I pull them out and I take it to get it fixed, and I do get it fixed and bring it back, and be a hell of to find b- the right hole to get it back into because <laughs> the back of it's so.
0: <laughs> It seems like you could maybe call Geek Squad and they would come out to your house and at least give you their assessment. You well, know, maybe, maybe I could try. It. But that's an idea. I, it didn't occur to me there. Yeah, there's a Geek Squad set up inside every Best Buy store, and I've had them come and set up equipment like surround sound for me because i don't like to fool with all the wires and stuff yeah. mm-hmm. and it's worth it i mean i mm-hmm. you probably pay them i don't know 130 dollars for them to come and visit, set right? everything up for yeah. three hour two or mm-hmm. two to three hours i've mm-hmm. always found it to be worth it mm-hmm. so that's an option yeah so i'm I'm still surprised that I haven't heard you talk about a special someone, so you really were playing the Bachelor role. You didn't yeah. want to be settled down yeah. you went you put your stuff that you bought in Hong Kong on a bus in San Francisco. It made it to New Orleans. you got your your audio equipment back to your house. Do you remember the first thing you played on it?
1: Oh gosh no I don't I don't know.
0: I, I liked uh,
1: classical music, and I had, I had and the, the thirty-three and thirty—that went out. You know, that wow. went—it uh, it went to uh, the little ones, the, the forty-five, not the forty. Yeah, I had a set of forty-fives, but that went out too. But then it was the little smaller ones. It was all went to fidelity. You know, well, you, well, you got the best fidelity. You know, mm. man, you'd be listening for that high sound, whether.
0: It's going to come through or not, or that'll you won't be picking it up. Give me some idea of groups or bands that you were into at that time. They, they were mostly symphony orchestras, the
1: Philadelphia, London Symphony Orchestra. Mostly symphony music. But now, well, I don't play any of that anymore. Now, you I got there's a good station. It plays classical music. Right? Mm. And I, I just leave the radio on to that. I haven't played a record
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: in, I can't
0: remember when, the mm-hmm. last time I, oh, you may know it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I mostly listen to Spotify now, which is an app on my phone. Mm-hmm. It's where you can hear the Man Overseas podcast, and they have a choice of like 16 million songs, oh, yeah? including the Beatles. And <laughs> uh, yeah, you can go back a long time. Oh, yeah? It's awesome. Well,
1: And how do you change that if you got
0: that thing in your ear? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but when I picked you up, I had AirPods in my ear, which Apple makes, and they're so comfortable Mm -hmm. that you forget they're in your ear. So I would have never been so rude as to show up at your house with these in my ear as if I'm not listening uh, to what you're saying. Oh, so you took them out, yeah. So Uh. I took them out, but these hook up to your phone, and then you just download an app like Spotify... And it's amazing. I mean, you pay, you can, you can get the app for free, and there'll be a commercial after every two songs or three songs. Uh-huh. Or you can pay fourteen ninety nine dollars a month, which to me is a steal, yeah. and you get unlimited access to pretty much any song that's ever been sung. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Uh-huh. But that's what these companies want, is the subscription service. They want that recurring revenue, yeah. so they try to get you. To, to pay subscribe, for it. yeah. And the way that they do it is by, I'm going to bug you with these commercials, or you can get it commercial free by paying monthly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of the people my age, you get caught up with 13 different subscription services, and you have to go <laughs> through every once in a while and say, hey, am I still using this one? Let me scratch this one off. And <laughs> we're staying right now at my parents' house. We're renting their house. And that was a deal where they were going to go and take a job. My stepdad, it's like his final hoorah before he retires. Uh And it turns out that they have YouTube TV, which is just as good as having Cox Cable or one of those. Oh, yeah. And it's an app and it allows you to have, I think, up to five different devices using that account. Mm -hmm. So they listen to it at his where they live in Corpus Christi. And we watch it on the front TV and the back TV here. And so it's amazing. And I think that's like $60 a month. So that cuts down on your cable bill. But then you also, if you have young kids, you're going to want Disney Plus. So Disney offers a monthly subscription. Netflix has almost any movie you could ever want. And they offer the same thing. It's about $14.99 a month. They're competing with these other services who offer their own content. And the way that they're able to save a lot of money is to create their own content as opposed to outsourcing it to, you know, movie makers. Yeah. So the world has changed a lot in terms of content production and distribution. And even this, what we're doing right now, 20 years ago, this would have been an AM radio show. But because Mm. of the Internet, Mm. I can start a podcast and, and distribute this out to the Internet. There's a podcaster named Joe Rogan, Mm -hmm. and this is a podcast we're doing right now, Mm -hmm. and he had so many listeners, and I'm talking about maybe 60 million listeners a month or something like that. Good grief. So his, (laughs) his audience way outweighed anything CNN or one of the major news networks could could generate, mm-hmm. and so everything is changing so fast that the news, in order to get any listeners whatsoever, they had to go to click, clickbait journalism. So there's no more Walter yeah. Cronkite. I primarily do this for fun. I, I mm-hmm. enjoy the conversation, mm-hmm. and and come to find out, who would have thought people enjoy listening to two hour conversations among friends?
1: Yeah, guys, BS and <laughs> that's
0: it. That's exactly right. People would love mm-hmm. to be a fly on the wall mm-hmm. for conversations like that. What
1: happens to other people, I yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because yeah. you just have no idea what everybody else's life is like. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's why yeah. one of the first questions I asked you was, so do you stay in your robe till 2 p.m.? That's mm-hmm. fascinating to yeah. me that you do. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. I mm-hmm. showed up today and you were like, you face-palmed and said, <laughs> oh, shoot, we got that podcast today i forgot let me go put some clothes on and it was 2 p.m and mm-hmm. i admire that i mm-hmm. mean that's that's where we all strive to get someday where we're retired drinking coffee in a robe till 2 p.m so mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. on you sir mm-hmm. how long have you been able to live that lifestyle
1: well <clears throat> i'm trying to think when, when in my mind i was fully retired i, th- I think it was quite a while
0: were you in your 60s? Yeah. Yeah?
1: At least 65, you know, a little better than that. And know. what made you
0: want to retire?
1: Well, oh, you're making me dredge now, boy, oh boy.
0: Well, I assume since you never married, you yeah. had plenty of money. So you probably could have retired at oh, yeah, 45, yeah, uh-huh. but you kept working, so you yeah. must have enjoyed the work that you did.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. man, this is 65 years old. What in the hell did I do then, you know? <laughs> there was something I wanted to do. I can't. I
0: well, can't. you were living in the same house that yeah, you do now, yeah, right? the same house, yeah. Mm-hmm. After I graduated
1: from high school and, and the draft was on and then I had mm-hmm. to go in the service, you know, well, well, like I said, well, you, you, you had to do something, you know. Then I left and I joined the uh, Merchant Marine Cadet Corps. And once I started going to sea... That was an occupa- uh, occupier in itself, you know, to see new ports and always looking for to see how other people live, how the rest of the world looked, you know. Mm.
0: So seeing how the rest of the world lived, did yeah. that influence how you lived when you got back to the states?
1: I was thankful, man. I was so thankful that I lived in the US, you know, mm. that to, to see how hard life was elsewhere
0: so the standard of living here was just so much higher yeah like everybody else is drinking instant coffee but you get the drip yeah 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 you got it you got it yeah and so would you encourage young people at that time you got to get overseas and see this you got to see how good we have it i don't know because the whole the damn world changes so much so you were a child of the depression, yeah. I imagine so. Yeah. you're ten years old, 1936. The depression really started 1929, and then lasted well into the 30s.
1: I can't, I didn't can't realize. Well, I, I couldn't realize then that how tight things were, because we would pass food. My folks would over the back fence when the neighbors had it. And back back and forth, oh, but things were really bad. Coming home from school, I think, I mean, this must have broke my parents' heart. But uh, coming, I went to Belleville School, and I could go home for lunch, I'd walk home for lunch, and then come back, or catch the bicycle, ride home on a bicycle, have lunch, and then get a bike, go back to school. Came home from school one time, and I can remember this, where they had soup, soup for lunch. Now, I didn't know it, but that was all they had for lunch. And they gave me a bowl of soup, and I'm saying, I don't want soup, you know. I can mm-hmm. remember that. Man, I must have broke my parents' heart, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. But things were that tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. what was your dad's mm-hmm. job? He was a carpenter. Carpenter? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And did your mom work too? Well, no, no, mother didn't work. And you had how many siblings, you said? I got to remember now. I had four siblings. And you all lived in half of a shotgun house. How many bathrooms? One bathroom. You all shared (laughs) Wow.
1: You almost had to fill out an application. uh, Yeah,
0: I imagine. Seven people because mom and dad used the same bathroom. mm -hmm. That's incredible. And so times were tight. Did your dad encourage you to get a good job that you could maintain over a long period of time and get the golden watch after thirty years? Was it oh, that oh, kind yeah. of atmosphere? Yeah. Because yeah. um, poor man, he had his problems, you know. Just
1: a manual labor carpenter. I guess he'd get maybe a day or two work. Catch as catch can, you know.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. so would he wake up and go maybe to the shipyard or the port and
1: no I, th- I think he went to the union hall that's where they c- he could uh get a job that was higher price price labor guys come in looking for looking for work you know because there was guys
0: all over the place looking for work what was the composition of the city in terms of whites and blacks was it was it pretty almost segregated? all white almost all white right. yeah so, even this neighborhood, all white on the other side of Opelousas, all white.
1: Yeah. But Gre- And, and greatly, they seemed to cluster together. It seemed like the blacks stayed together and the whites stayed together. Almost
0: know? self-segregated.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then, oh, God, they got a black
0: living next door to them. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was told that at the bar that my grandfather owned on Bienville, mm-hmm. there was a door for whites and then a separate room, separate door for the blacks. Probably, yeah. And that yeah. wasn't so long ago. I don't know when they integrated the rooms, but it was
1: It happened it was gradually, accepted. you know, and then I remember a reading uh, on a bus, Go to the back of the bus, sit in the, the back of the bus, didn't sit in the, where the rest of the people uh, sat.
0: Boy, oh boy. You remember your first television set? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Big
1: deal, too, man. Big, big, bet. big Screen about this big. <laughs> and you're no, no, showing well, about it was, 12, well, 13 inches. Smaller than that because there was a Chinaman that had a laundry. And uh, he was the first one I can remember that had a television set, see? And he invited, I think there was going to be a football game or something that was going to be uh, <laughs> broadcast on the television set. And all the kids, well, we all knew him. I knew the Said so to come out, and he had all the chairs set up, and he had the television set set up, screen about this big, yeah. and we're all sitting there, and a mass of dials on the bottom of the set, and uh, anyway, the game's going to come on. He's going to get it a adjust- Oh, I can't get this thing. <laughs> I don't know if we ever saw the ball game or not.
0: Nick. He couldn't get it adjusted <laughs> to where a, the picture was good yeah, enough.
1: Yeah, massive, massive dials. I don't know how many adjustments you had to make to get that picture right. Oh God, <laughs> man.
0: But was he the rich guy in the neighborhood because he owned a laundry mat and he could afford no, the he, television? It he wasn't
1: a laundry mat. This was a laundry. He
0: did the shirts in the back. Oh, he did it all himself. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then everybody wanted one after that. I mean, you probably did you go home and say, "When can we get a television set?"
1: No. But uh gradually they came down in price and came to be affordable yeah. to the average family.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> was it was it just common knowledge that you were going to have to go to war? I mean, it just seems to me so unlucky to have been born between, say, nineteen twenty three and nineteen twenty seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the luck of the the birth lottery luck of the draw. Yeah, yeah that mm-hmm. you happen to be born and turn eighteen in the the World War II years. I mean, yeah. how unlucky is that? Could you foresee starting at age fourteen, fifteen, that this is going to be my life? I'm going to have to be as part of the war effort. Part of it, yeah. But I didn't want to be a dog face, no, well, indeed, man. And what, When you say dog face, what does that mean? A guy in the trenches. Of infantry. Yes. You know? Okay. Yeah. I, I had one of my grandma's boyfriends. So my grandma's, my grandfather died in 94, 95. She must have dated three men after that. Mm-hmm. No, my grandfather died in 97, 98, somewhere in there. And we used to joke that she would kill them all because they would all die while <laughs> she was dating them. Uh-huh. Well, one of them I got to know really well and was mm-hmm. a pallbearer at his funeral. And every Thanksgiving... He was killed
1: in a war? Yeah. No,
0: he had shrapnel that was lodged under his eye permanently. And mm-hmm. he had the purple heart and mm-hmm. everything. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things he would tell me every Thanksgiving was, one, how thankful he was that he had found my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I think he was kind of sucking up to me a little bit with yeah. that comment but yeah. but it seems sincere he was a very joyful person mm-hmm. and I think he credited that to the fact that he had watched so many of his brothers in arms die and yeah. that he had gotten to live another mm-hmm. 60 years
1: Yeah. so
0: mm. he was just the joy was expressed could he see out of that eye or blind in that eye you know, I never asked him. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. But you could see his excitement for life by how many pictures he took. And he had just gotten into email. This is probably like 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. And he was in 80, He's probably 84, 85 by this time and real soft spoken. And, and like you, when I would ask him questions, he would really have to think to jog his memory. mm mm-hmm. And my grandfather was the same way who fought in the Pacific theater. They didn't tell their stories. Nobody talked about the war. And especially if you had, if you Mm -hmm. saw combat, it was just something you didn't talk about. Well, when the internet came along around the turn of the century, he was encouraged to tell his story finally. Mm -hmm. And I read it. It was 13, 14 pages long and was just captivated by it. And mm-hmm. so I had a million questions, and I would have loved to have had the podcast to interview him here. Mm-hmm. But he would tell me at Thanksgiving that the two things he was most grateful for were, number one, my grandfather, and number two, for Harry Truman for dropping the bomb wow. on Japan. Yeah, yeah. Because if not, when he came oh, back— Lord, from, that would have
1: been slaughter. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> if not, from he would have come from being a German prisoner of war with shrapnel lodged under his eye— over into the Pacific, exactly. Yeah. And that is not what he wanted to do. Oh Lord, no! I'd I'd hate to think uh, they they had uh, the Japanese.
1: They didn't have enough guns, and they had them sharpening spears because they they were so inculcated, you know, that when when they tried to land, well, and you were to use this spear. They didn't have enough weapons to go around so what their weapon was is a spear. Mm,
0: Jesus. Jesus. Oh man, man. So huh? there was a lot of hand to hand combat I Probably, imagine. Yeah.
1: But it, no, it didn't take place. It didn't take place because the bomb stopped all that. Right oh, yeah. I see. They dropped the first one and then it showed pictures after. Oh god, man. It's flat, man. Every now and then here flint and then they waited a little I think 2 or 3 days and hit the second one, man. She Lord have mercy, and then all the people who maybe weren't killed, but nearby, but had the radiation sickness and knew it'd be a matter of weeks or so they were going to be gone. You know they would. Gonna-
0: oh yeah, I've seen documentaries where the the flash of the bombs were so strong that shadows were permanently like mm-hmm. implanted on the cement. Whew, whew. I mean, it's just yeah. And you're right, people on fire, people looking for water to dive in because the, mm. the heat was so strong from mm-hmm. the atomic bomb, the first mm-hmm. atomic bomb ever used. Mm-hmm. And so do you remember when you, where you were and what you were thinking and feeling when that happened? I'm thinking now, trying to remember
1: it doesn't register. I no. can't even
0: remember where I was. when that you Do know. you remember there being a sense of this is going to lead to nuclear war where they're going to fight back with nuclear bombs and maybe we New were Orleans? We afraid, yeah. yeah. We afraid of that, you know.
1: And then once that damn thing, now it was a, a, a secret to make. There were two Canadian spies that stole the secret. Some kind of way, and got it to Russia. Because uh, Stalin did not have,
0: he didn't have the bomb. He probably fetched a pretty penny yeah, mm-hmm. for for stealing the Manhattan Project documents and yeah. selling them to it Stalin. It was two,
1: two Canadians, a, a man and his wife, that had worked on it, and... Maybe they were, they were secret spies for, for Russia or something, but that's how the, Russia got the uh, secret on how to make it.
0: Hmm. And now um. we've got, what, I don't know how many, nine probably countries that are nuclear armed. Oh, Pakistan him. even has nuclear weapons. North Korea with nuclear weapons. Destroy the earth, man. You think it's going to eventually lead to mutually assured destruction? The human being, maybe they have enough
1: sense to hold it, you know, that uh, because they know you use one, they got it also. So it's it might be someone over there, but here it comes back. <laughs> it's mu- mutual destruction. Yeah.
0: hmm well, I think with the advancements in technology, wars are going to be fought a different way now.
1: Probably, probably. I...
0: Do you think what we experienced with this COVID-19 was an act of war?
1: Now, it came out, of, came out of China, and it may have come out of one of their labs, and it got away from them.
0: Which would, Mm. which Mm. would fall under the accident theory? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, are you more likely to believe that it was an accident, or is this the new sort of warfare that we're now going to encounter?
1: I I think it was in their labs, and it got away from them accidentally.
0: How did that damn thing spread
1: through the whole country, man?
0: well, one thing I noticed is they shut down travel domestically, but allowed it internationally. So they yeah, could well, put somebody with the virus on a on a plane to California in yeah. and Italy. And, Some
1: things didn't make sense, you know.
0: No. And it is true that they were the only major economy to grow in the year 2020, whereas mm-hmm. no other major economy grew. No, I didn't know
1: that. I didn't know that. In Was China?
0: China, and one thing that is worrisome is that we've provided the blueprint for how we will act, right? We will Mm. stay indoors, we will mask up, Mm. we will shut down our economy.
1: Yeah, we didn't know any other way to fight it.
0: I know. Were you concerned? Were you worried about catching COVID and being in the hospital and things like that?
1: No, no. Because I, I went and got vaccinated. As soon as that came about, I, in fact, I, I'm due to get the third one. I, I had the first two shots, you know.
0: Okay. So you need the booster.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's see. Uh, Ruth Marie. Ruth Marie. I don't know what she was doing up at this hour. Neither do I. But she <laughs> texted me at 101 and said that that Uncle Donald, that's you, Mm-hmm is so generous he helps all of his nieces and nephews buy a car for college mm-hmm. he helps my uncle ronnie's children and grandchildren with high school and college she says that she didn't have any children so no help was needed there that came through at one o'clock in the morning and i replied to her mm-hmm. at about three forty a.m and said mm-hmm. beautiful thank you for the information and then she said he used to own a sailboat and would go sailing as often as he could. And sometimes he would get to go, but he lost the sailboat because of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, I guess, because you were frugal as a child of the Depression, mm-hmm. you saved and invested quite a bit of money.
1: But also I had good jobs, well-paying jobs.
0: Well-paying jobs.
1: Because uh, for the Saturn... Uh, the chief engineer, but now we were not on a, a development; we were mostly testing because all the development, and everything went out of Huntsville. I'm talking about the Saturn missile that took the man to the moon. He had two assistants, and I was one of them. You know, like it was next to him on the missile that they were developing and go to the moon. But it was far more than I needed to to live. To live, so I just banked it. You know. Yeah. You know. When I figured, well, I'm tired of working, I'll pull on some of this bank account.
0: <laughs> and so, where mm-hmm. did you put your money primarily? Was it in a savings account or did you invest it in stock equities? Market. Stock market. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mutual funds. Mutual, mutual funds? funds? Yeah. How did you know about mutual funds? How did you know to do that?
1: Whoo, no. Nah. Boy, I've been fooling the stock market. Let's see, I'm trying to think of where I was. I was working, and a fellow employee had an account with uh with a brokerage and he says why don't you come on down and see what's going on you know he's the one kind of got me into it and after that i found out uh, mutual funds and i would put money into that you know because it, it paid more di- well you go where the, where the greatest desi- uh
0: Returns. return is yeah you had a pension on top of that
1: a small pension, small but not pension. much, because I, I, I really didn't stay in any job real long time. Yeah,
0: you were chasing. Were you chasing excitement, or were you chasing more money? No,
1: I wasn't chasing money. No, because
0: you wanted something that would get you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I found out we were going to the moon and I had the background and intelligence that you did, I I think I would have done the same thing, even if it meant less money. I wanted to be, a. I would have wanted to to be be a part part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. So no wife and kids. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to invest quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. And then once you hit 65 or so somewhere in your sixties, you said, there was something you something else you wanted to do? Was it to sail around the world? Maybe on a sailboat.
1: Well, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember. I think I had my sailboat, and and then I was lucky too. I used to sail with a friend. He had a boat out. There was the uh, yacht harbor, you know, the uh, Southern Yacht, New Orleans Yacht Harbor out there. At that time, because uh, the hurricane the whole thing man through the slips and everything made a mess out of it but this was before that when it was hard to get a slip because there was a limited number and usually you had to be a member of the yacht club or something out there you had to have influence to get a slip Mm. so i was friends i used to sail with a friend who had a, a boat out there and uh He wanted a a bigger boat. So when he got a bigger boat, his bigger boat didn't fit the slip. The slips had certain lengths to him. You know, as you got a larger boat, you had to get a larger slip. So he said, if you want, I won't sell you slip, but I'll rent it, sublet it, sublet the slip to you. And we work out some kind of deal where you paid us. It's still in my name, but you paid a slip rent on it, see? So that's the way I had And then I had a slip, and I remember they had a boat show in town. And I said, well, I got a, I got a place to keep a slip now. I, so I went and I bought a little boat. It was a 23-foot uh, sailboat. Paid cash for it? I think so, yeah. And, oh, Lord, man, I got pictures beauty's on that sailboat in bikinis <laughs> oh, man. living the life of riley you
0: know? yes good for you yeah and so that ended with katrina in 05 mm-hmm. so that's 16 years ago <clears> throat> so throat> at that age you are 80 years old so mm-hmm. you were mm-hmm. living the life of riley from like 60 age 65 to 80 would you say
1: just about. Good you for know. you. Yeah. Wow. Were yeah. you the
0: envy of all your friends?
1: Well, I'd take them sailing a lot, you know. Yeah. I mean, they want to get out there and see the bikinis, too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine.
1: And then, too, <clears throat> the Yacht Club out there would have uh, what they'd call the Eastwood Hoe. And that's where the whole damn Yacht Yashcl- harbor, you could go on it if you wanted to. They would go out, and it would sail to, uh, like maybe Biloxi, and put into Biloxi and stay overnight. They'd get a uh, you could stay on your boat, or they sometimes would get a hotel there. But and there'd be parties in the hotel all the sailors, you know. Next morning, and make the next trip. Go to, uh, I don't remember what the next port was down, uh, Pensacola maybe. Same thing. And everybody get off and party on. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You were the man. You had the boat and, wow, 23 footer, you said. What was the name of your boat? Now, cut let me think. I didn't name the boat.
1: I let some friends name it for me, and it came up with a goofy name. <laughs> I can't even remember the damn name of the boat. Mm. You know, that's a hell of a thing. I can't even remember the name of the mm. And I didn't care for the name too much, but since I didn't want to take it away from them, I you know, <laughs> put the name on the back of the boat. What in the hell was the name of that boat? Mm. We even had a ceremony. Had a good-looking gal go out and pour water on the, on the bow of the boat, <laughs> it was christening, you know.
0: Hey Lord, were those your best years?
1: No. Well, I don't know, man. I I've had some good years, man. I had a good life. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. So when the the sailboat went down, no more sailing after that. No, I I went out
1: <laughs> looking for it, and what had happened is, is the it, the uh, storm had created a huge wave. In Lake Pontchartrain, see? And I, I don't know how high this wave was, but it was high. And it came through the, the harbor. And, man, it took all those boats and everything and piled them up in the corner. And I went out there and looking for my boat, and there it was. In the corner? In,
0: in oh. the pile, you know? Oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> uh, and then after, when they started undoing the pile, they set them all out. Uh, uh, you know West End Park? they set them all out on West Bank you could go claim your boat if you wanted it so I said well I'll go out there and take a look at it man it had a hole this big in the, uh, in the bow I and uh, I started getting kind of the estimates of what it, and it cost too much, it, to repair it cost a, a new boat so I said well maybe I'll buy a new boat and I started uh, I started getting prices for the same, same identical Ooh, boat used
0: but I said, no, I don't want to pay that much. Sure. You ever have mm-hmm. regrets of not having a family of your own? No. Never? No. No. I, su- I suppose
1: that's a, that's a big uh, uh, children, are a terrific burden, you know. You're no longer thinking of yourself. You're thinking of how kind of to bring them up, you know, and provide for them. Also, not just so much with the food, clothing, shelter, but later on the education and everything so that they could compete in the world. And then you worry, worry about
0: them. Yeah, I used to tell my friends that you probably have, before I had kids, and I didn't have them until I was 40 years old, mm-hmm. and I only have one now, mm-hmm. but I would say you probably have much higher highs in your life but also much lower lows whereas i pretty much stay between yeah. a seven and an eight yeah. you know <laughs> yeah uh-huh. so it brings on it's a risk mm-hmm. i mean uh getting married is a risk Gosh, right? yeah. you're committing yourself to one woman for the rest of your life and you're committing yourself to children
1: it's rare i mean uh, <clears> that well some women do but most women, when they get married, one of their objections is they want a child. You absolutely, know? Yeah. they want a family. Mm-hmm.
0: Almost as if they were made to perpetuate well, the species, right? Yeah, well, they,
1: they got all this equipment.
0: I just right. want to use it. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'll tell you, our world—I'm sure you've seen it transform—to where women have become more masculinized, to where they're waiting they're pursuing a high-powered career and then a lot of them get yeah, to be get, 40 getting years in, old and getting and into the missed.
1: workforce i can remember kind of as a kid that the young women they didn't go out and go to work i mean they stayed at home with the family yeah you know that, that, that the, the father provided for them and then when they got married and they went down uh, the aisle well, the, the father gave the, the bride away to uh The husband, you know?
0: Yes. Along with all of the financial responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get married in church? We did not. And the reason is because she, as she explained to you, her parents were raised in Mexico. Yeah. Her dad was one of four. Her dad was one of 10. Her mom was one of 14 kids. Uh And so raised in the United States would be relative poverty they were raised in true poverty oh, yeah. destitution yeah. so strong faith they have a church their their church going practice is a deal where they have a pastor and they have it at different members of the congregation's home Mm-hmm. They take turns, and the host will cook the meal, and so oh, they'll I spend yeah. two or three yeah. hours yeah. Uh-huh. on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. We haven't made it but a few times. Uh, they start talking in tongues, and I, I kind of get, you know, nah, it's just not my turns, thing.
1: Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm.
0: So I have a relationship with God because of my Catholic upbringing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where did you go to high school?
1: Went to Bremen. Right there,
0: right there in Algiers, you know. Okay, is that still a school here? Well,
1: it doing a whole lot. I don't know. There's all I fun. I don't know what. Is that it, the
0: one under construction, the pink yeah, one? Okay. Yeah,
1: it. Uh, I'm wondering if it's going to be another school. Some people say that it's going to be a uh, old folks' home or something. You know. Mm. So I, I, I don't. I uh, hope it's. Well, it doesn't matter to me. I mean,
0: it, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all in the past. You know? Do you fear living in an old folks' home?
1: I wouldn't want it. I'm thankful at my age I can still up and about get around, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You
0: got a car.
1: Yeah, I can drive, you know, it, uh, because uh, you're really so dependent in an old folks' home,
0: you know? But there's got to be some upside. You've got camaraderie, people you can yeah. play cards with. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of think of it like a, an old folks' fraternity home, yeah, you know? Probably. yeah might have some women in there you might be interested in
1: and it and you have all your meals and everything provided for you you don't have to worry about what's
0: what's for dinner you know yeah have you been to a lot of funerals in the last say 10 15 years no 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 (laughs) because
1: i don't like going to
0: funerals you know in fact i had a
1: well a a young well he was school high school friend and every you know friends died and I heard that he died, you know, and it, I didn't even go to his wake, you know. No, I'm ashamed of myself, you know, I should have, but uh, I, didn't. I
0: didn't. Well, you got to remember what Yogi Berra said. He said he'd go to people's funerals so that they go to his. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. You fear death at all?
1: No. No? Mm-mm. No. No. It it to me it it's going to be an adventure. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a screen here, a thin screen, and you step through the screen. You're on this side. You're alive. You step through. You're still alive to a sense, but in another existence, you know. Mm. You'd be in existence, but without all your body and everything and all that. Do
0: ah. so you think we enter a different realm? Like yes, in yeah. a different form, almost. Yeah,
1: yeah I think so. Okay, think that's that's what my belief is,
0: you know. And is that because energy is is not really destroyed? Like you, once you exist, mm. you can't yeah, entirely. How, what destroy your existence
1: you. would be, yeah. Like we'd say, our soul. You know, your your soul still exists, you know? right?
0: Mm. Yes, almost as if mm. once consciousness mm. exists. Mm. Can it be destroyed? I'm not, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's like maybe you're still conscious in some way. Mm-hmm. Anything you would do differently if you could go back to, you know, 20, 30, 40 years old?
1: I, I don't know that I would want to do, you know. Maybe s- some regrets that I treated people ugly that I shouldn't have. You
0: know? mm-hmm. And was that just... Momentary lapse in in judgment or lack of emotional control that you lashed out at them or
1: no no nothing like that but old girlfriends that you don't call anymore no and they call you you know
0: <laughs> and you ignore them and
1: yeah well uh, you talk with them on the phone you know but uh never more let's get together
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's tough it's mm-hmm. so interesting how like I can think back to a relationship that I had and remember her when I was breaking up with her crying saying please don't break up with me but you realize that in that moment that decision you've just made which you it's not like it was a, I was 100% sure this is the decision I want to make it was more like 75% yeah but you realize that once the once you hang up you're, That's it. Li- yes, your life's trajectory changes entirely, and children mm. are born mm. here yeah. and not here, mm. and you find someone else, and it just seems like so many <clears throat> different women you could have ended up with, if yeah. not for one yeah. thing that was said on a telephone, on the telephone. It's, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that I have faith that everything works out as it should, that God has a plan. I mean, that's the way I was raised. And I think abiding by that way of living reduces stress and anxiety and regret. Oh, yeah. You received a a reward from the church. Is it St. Catherine on Metairie Road in Bonneville? That's the church where my parents were married. So do you still go to church regularly? Oh, yeah.
1: I make Sunday Mass. Mm
0: -hmm. Here across the street, or do you go to St. Catherine? I go to Holy Name of Mary. That's right here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you ever fear running out of money? No. No? No. I don't know what I'd do if I'd...
1: uh, Enough to eat.
0: I mean, your house has been paid off for a long time, I imagine. I'd, I'd probably
1: end up going to... Live with one of my brothers. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Who are considerably younger, right? They're 88. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you saved well, invested well in mutual funds. Yeah. Do you still have money in mutual funds? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of how I could divide it
1: up so they'd each get a piece of it for college education, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? and uh, have to go talk to the broker and, because what I was afraid, when I started pulling it out to give it to them, can't pull it out all at once, man. Because Uncle Sam's going to come in and scoop a, take a big chunk of it. Yeah. Mm. I see a cute little squirrel running around. Go around the other way. Come around the other side.
0: Oh, yeah. I see it. oh he jumped! He jumped! I yeah. See it. I'm going to grab a jacket. We've been going an hour and forty minutes. Can you believe oh, yeah? that? Do you have another 25 minutes or so? Oh, yeah, i got plenty of time. Okay. But I do want to use your restroom. Okay, yeah, I'll show you where it is. So we come back from a bathroom break, and Mr. Spirier is talking about what else that one magical time in his life at Kings Point, New York, where to be a young man on the prowl wasn't to be on the prowl at all. It was more shooting fish in a barrel. And I love that he comes back to that story... Because I think it says so much about men and our hardwiring. He talks about how great it was to be wanted, to be desired by women. And this isn't something we often talk about, but it's so important for a man to feel desired by his woman as an example. I remember Kisha saying this as a guest on the podcast. The episode was called Emotional Intelligence. And I'll have to paraphrase because I haven't listened in a while, but. I believe she said it was the chief complaint among her male patients, or what they desired most. not exactly sure which. I'll have to go back. But for a man, the sentiment is real. For many men, a woman serves as his muse. If he's writing, for example, she's the inspiration. Or have you ever heard that all of civilization was built for women? Let's say you stood in the heart of New York City and had a look around. Everything you see from skyscrapers to fancy cars, plumbing, electricity, you name it. All was in all likelihood built to either impress a woman, attract a woman, or more direct than that, I'm so in love, you inspire me, I'm going to build this for you, my love. And it's obviously had an impact on Mr. Sperrier that it's stuck in his memory. Here we are 75 years later worth thinking about now back to the show
1: way in the uniform and here we are <laughs> feeling to be wanted you know? yes. i mean what about a, a ratio of about maybe five or six beautiful with. gals to one guy you know?
0: <laughs> and so the rest of your life it was never the same did you yeah. ever try to get that sense of being <laughs> wanted back did you go to I knew it was impossible. Oh. You know, it was impossible, man. Well, at least in America, it would be impossible, yeah. barring some unforeseen conflict overseas yeah. where half the men leave. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you would have to go, I think an American male is more appealing in other countries. Yes, so maybe I'm a little surprised that you didn't spend more time in other countries after that wonderful experience that you keep talking about, where where the women <laughs> were the... Kings Point. Yeah, yes.
1: In Long Island, New York.
0: How apropos is the name, <laughs> Kings Point?
1: <laughs> oh, gee.
0: <laughs> What's the most beautiful place you've been?
1: Just looking at scenery, I'd say Switzerland. Switzerland? Yeah.
0: And was that a vacation or...
1: Yeah, it was on a vacation, but just... Yeah. Calendar strip tad off, you
0: know, mm. stick it on the calendar. <laughs> I can relate. I've been to garden which is where is that? That's where Hitler had his eagle's nest. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Beautiful on the border of Austria and Germany. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that those Alps, those are the Bavarian Alps, probably the same Natural, range. He would, he would. Pick the best, you know, have oh, the yeah. best for him, you know. Yeah, well, I think his architect chose that spot because it was probably the best view in the world. Yeah. Mm. You could see Salzburg from that spot. I've never spot. been there
1: now. You, 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 you're baiting
0: me. <laughs> well, that's my next question. Do you have somewhere that you want to go, like a bucket I'm gonna list? I'm going to go to, go to What is the name of it? Bechtesgaden.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's
0: hard to pronounce. Mm-hmm. But any other bucket list items? Before I meet the end, you know. Yeah. Uh, Because you seem in great health. The way you bounce up and down the stairs and move around, you can can thank the man upstairs, you know, that
1: uh, here I am in my 90s and uh, I see a whole lot of, a whole, whole, much, many, many people, my friends have gone. They're already gone. And then others uh, end up where I would not want to be, you know. Mm -hmm. you baited me now. I mean, I, almost, I must put that on my, my list <laughs> to, to to visit Hitler's gardens.
0: <laughs> oh, it's amazing. He has this gold elevator that's that was built into the mountain. Mm-hmm. And he was, I think he had some claustrophobia. So he was scared to go into this gold-plated elevator that shoots you up into the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And that was the only way you could get up there.
1: Oh, yeah, that and was it? Yes, yeah. and
0: the 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 view I can is for
1: protection for security,
0: security, security. Oh yeah, yeah. Gold elevator, what an ego! And yeah, <laughs> and it's still there, and you can still visit. He so l- he met Mussolini having? there. Do you have a souvenir that you value most? Do you did you collect anything through the years? I got a
1: little miniature sailboat that kind of re- reminds me of my sailboat that got
0: creamed and. Katrina. When's the last time you had a relationship with a woman?
1: Oh, Lord.
0: <laughs> that's so long ago and long forgotten.
1: We going to get a little vulgar. I don't know if it'd come up again anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, they do have advanced oh, yeah, technology. To, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but uh,
1: no. It uh, uh, um,
0: doesn't interest you, huh? I remember talking to a man who's my dad's age, late 60s, who said that he was looking forward to his 80s because he would finally be released from the shackles of sex. And what he meant by that was that he was looking forward to not having it consume him, the thought of it, you know, and having to look Mm -hmm. at every woman that passes by their form. I
1: still still admire a beautiful woman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, but it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, have the same pull on you I imagine no, no. that it did
1: no no
0: do you have a favorite book or movie
1: I enjoyed the movie Going With The Wind
0: Going With The Wind
1: yeah Do you ever see it
0: no mm. I I should
1: it's the south after the civil war or maybe the civil war was still on I don't remember but I remember seeing it and appreciating it now from what I understand, a woman who wrote that book, Gone with the Wind, wrote it in her kitchen. I don't remember her, the author of the book, Gone with the Wind. But uh, it impressed me as being a, a well-made movie.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. I have friends whose parents say that it's their favorite movie. Oh, yeah? Go oh, on, yeah. Or favorite come... book. Yeah. Everybody always says the book is better than the movie, right? Well,
1: I saw them both... You know, and I liked them both, you know.
0: Well, and it's withstood the test of time, which is oh, gosh, yeah. the indicator of a good book or movie.
1: was I don't know when it was, I can't say the Civil War, but uh, that, it, that's what it was about. Mm. But uh, I don't remember the date on the book. You make me look, go back now, I'm going to have to go by the library and see when. when... Him, the book Gone with the Wind was printed. <laughs> now,
0: do you use Google? Do you use... No. None no, of that?
1: No, don't compute.
0: No, not it at does, all.
1: It does not compute.
0: You've no. never emailed? No. No? Mm-hmm. And no desire, huh?
1: No. If I'd rather than email, pick up the phone give them a call, you know?
0: Yeah. So you have a cell phone for that?
1: No, I don't have a cell phone. No. I I had a cell phone and it ran out of minutes and I didn't... Haven't gotten any more
0: minutes.
1: (laughs) It's one of those that you you buy the minutes, put them on,
0: and then it works. And when you run out of minutes, that's it. Okay. (laughs) It's (laughs) working. Okay, so let's do some fun questions. These would be quick, uh, so quick responses. If you could spend two weeks anywhere in the world and money were no object, where would you go?
1: (laughs) Hawaii, maybe. (laughs) Have you been? No. No? I've never been to Hawaii. Sit down on the beach
0: and watch the beauties run, run back Yeah, you see Yeah, you still like to watch the bikinis. Yeah.
1: Now, let me tell you a little experience. I went to Rio de Janeiro. And everybody, I think, has heard of Rio as the beach, you know, Rio de Janeiro. So, man, I'm frothing at the mouth. Get down there. Get out there. I want to get out Getting an easy chair on the beach and watch these beauties. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was on a sh- I was working on a ship. The ship went in, and the bus ran parallel to the beach, but it was about a block in. You didn't, you didn't. It's houses all along. Now you didn't see the beach while you were on the bus. So we went to the bus stop, and I got off the bus and walked down the beach. Got to the beach, my mouth dropped. Empty, not a single soul on the beach, man. I said, Good Lord, man, <laughs> this famous beach, and there's not even one person on it, you know. So they had a little refreshment stand there, and I went and I remember got a lemonade or something and sat there wondering, Well, look at this, man. So this is Rio de Janeiro, you know. I, I was where, dumbfounded, dumbfounded, man.
0: Where was everybody?
1: It was a working day, and they were all at work, so I guess. Mm. But man, I had this vision. The man, I said, "No, this is gonna be gonna be beautiful women from one end to the other," you know? Yeah. Didn't no, happen. Didn't happen.
0: Mm-mm. Okay, you're a Jeopardy contestant, and you get to choose the category for Final Jeopardy. What category would you choose, where you're pretty sure you would do well?
1: I'd try astronomy. Astronomy, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Mm. BS my way through. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So if you were tied with your other contestants with $10,000 each and the category was astronomy, would you wager it all?
1: Oh, no. No. I'm not that sure of it, so no, no. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One of the planets is no longer a planet, right? Isn't that Pluto or... Yeah, I
1: think it's Pluto. Yeah.
0: If I gave you $100,000 and forced you to invest it in, in Amazon, Apple, or... General Electric, which one would you choose? I wouldn't put it in General Electric. Uh, uh, Maybe Amazon. Do you ever get packages from Amazon? Do you do anything online? No. No? But you see the boxes that are being delivered to everybody (laughs) else's house. (laughs) You see them driving down the street all the time. And it seems to be a growing company, you know. Yes, yes. Yeah, and they do more than just packages. Have you ever heard of cryptocurrency?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that we'll eventually get to something like that, where we're using that think, as currency? I think you're a damn fool. if you. <laughs> no. I you don't, don't think I, we're I don't headed think, that route? No, no, because there's n- nothing in your hand. You know? If somebody dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it? I'd probably give it
1: away. All of it? Well, I'd keep some. I'd, I'd probably divide it up in packages and give it to relatives, you know. But, uh,
0: How many relatives are in your will? Is it like six?
1: Now, that's something I... none.
0: None? Name
1: specifically, so I, I guess that's something I should do. I figured they'd divide it up amongst themselves. Yeah, that's
0: <laughs> that's usually not a good route to go. No, because no. they fight. Some feel more entitled to others, especially yeah. if somebody's helped you more than others. Yeah. Or, yeah, it always causes problems. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. You're making me think, though. Good. That, yeah. That something I should give some attention to.
0: At least to try to avoid a real fist and cuff (laughs) yeah yeah it's really not about you at that point it's Mm -hmm. trying to reduce the yeah fighting the infighting and the fam Mm -hmm. because they're all going to feel a little entitled to it if they've helped you along the way yeah do you feel overly blessed for how many years you've gotten to live thus far i do feel blessed i said god lord man
1: thank thank you lord but every day man it uh It's been a good life, you know? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: What's been the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome in life?
1: At times, I've been sick, where it's coming close. But that'd that'd be about it. I mean, I don't remember. You're talking about things that I would have control over,
0: uh, the obstacles, you know? Well, not necessarily. Mm But it sounds like you never got into anxiety or depression or drug abuse or any of that. No, no. Alcohol. No. No?
1: We always had... (laughs) It was funny. My dad had a little boy in the kitchen, you know. And uh, I remember we had this friend staying with... It was a friend of my brother's. And they were sleeping in a double bed next to the kitchen... And the kitchen was where there was a little, this little boy. In the, and this, this friend of my brother's that was staying with us, he'd wake him up. He says, listen, listen, dad, that's it, that's it. When my dad would get up and he'd go in the kitchen, so he'd take one of his bottles and it had a squeaky cork on it. Mm. Pop, you know? He said, that's the cork. That's. He knew he was, he was taking a little shot of booze in there. A wake-up call.
0: Who was the like Cindy Crawford of your time, like when you were 25, 35 years old? I mean,
1: the beautiful, the most beautiful girl. Yeah. I guess Betty
0: Grable. Betty Grable? Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Have you ever met any celebrities? No.
1: I mean, not that I can think of that they made it. I almost met Von Braun, he came through the the engineering office when we were working on the moonshot
0: mm-hmm.
1: passed me by i didn't get to shake his hand he went around and he <laughs> shook him a whole lot of hands and he, he, he had, always regretted that Well, i was kind of off in a
0: out of the line you know <laughs> mm-hmm. you ever think about writing down your thoughts have you done any journaling or anything through the years no no i said these this was me. Who in the hell is going to be interested in my life? They got their life to live, you know. That's so interesting because I don't think that way at all. I find other people's lives fascinating. Mm-hmm. So the the money that you live on every month is it a combination of Social Security and a distribution from your yeah mutual safe, funds it saves yeah yeah mm-hmm. tithing is that something that you've done through the years tithing tithing you know to the church oh yeah I, I, yeah I make a Every Sunday, fill up an envelope, put something in an envelope. Mm-hmm. If you had one last meal to eat in a New Orleans restaurant, which restaurant would you go to?. Aye, 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 aye. Let me think. Charlie Steakhouse. I'm not familiar. Do you cook yourself? No, no. So every meal you get from the Old Point Bar or one of the yeah, local places, mm-hmm. I or, would do the uh, same.
1: Out of a can.
0: <laughs> yeah? <laughs> what did the neighborhood look like 85 years ago?
1: Well, the houses and everything were pretty much the same. But now they've they got a paint job or something, you know, maybe a little uh, window dressing. <laughs> but uh, but now the people have changed. Yeah, the, the, the block has changed a lot. I can remember the people that, where they lived and everything. Different type of people, you know. I mean, the, the, the people who live there now. Now, gosh, the, you know, that's, that's strange. They live across the street from me. It's a a man and his wife, and they have a small child. I don't know what they do. Or, or what the occupation is or anything, you know. But they live well, so it must be good, whatever he's doing. And he's been there for years. I don't know, I don't know what he does for a living.
0: Well, there are so many things that you can do online nowadays, like yeah. a software engineer where you can work remotely. Mm-hmm. I think that that's going to contribute to the The increase in property values here, that you're going to see a lot of people move to New Orleans, attractive places to live because Mm -hmm. you no longer need to be where your company headquarters is, for example.
1: You can work online.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure a lot of people think that about us too, but Mm -hmm. that's the way of the world now. And a lot of people (laughs) hold down two jobs like... You could be a software engineer for one company and then be like a data entry or a quality test assurance engineer or something for another company and balance them both and block your calendar accordingly and make it happen. I think a lot of people have bought into this idea because the markets have done so well over the last 10, 12 years that if you save and invest enough money that you can retire early. If you get the winners. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, and the wise thing to do is what you did, which is mutual funds, index funds, that'll get you where you want. But people don't want to get rich slowly, they want to get rich quick. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. It's easy to get rich slowly though, don't you think? Absolutely. So did you always know that you were going to help relatives with college and cars, or was that a decision you made once you realized that you had excess money and didn't have a family of your own? that,
1: yeah, and I know I couldn't take it with me,
0: Yeah,
1: so I'm going mean, to put it to good use before I go, you know? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. How much do you have left, you hope? Oh, well, in the mutual funds, I think
1: that was about maybe, around well, maybe 60000 something like that, which split up amongst uh let me see, oh, oh my god, well, I got two there, all I
0: can think of is four. Yeah.
1: So that would easily get four of them through college.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you have a paid-for car or paid-for house. Yeah. You have Social Security, yeah. so no worries. No, uh uh-uh. Do you expect to live to 110, 112? I think probably maybe,
1: well, I feel good now, but who can say, you know? Yeah. I'd, I'd
0: say maybe maybe three or four more years. Really? That's all? Mm-hmm. man you seem sharp too sharp to only have three or four more years left yeah. i mean generally what happens is somebody falls and breaks their hip yeah. right and then it's You're downhill from to... there mm-hmm. yeah well i hope yeah. you take good care of yourself i really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate you being here
1: well thank you very much and i enjoyed it i enjoyed it
0: <laughs> good thank mm-hmm. you and i'll just tell my audience thank you for listening i realize you could be doing anything in the world but you chose to spend your time with Me and Mr. Sperrier, and I appreciate you. If you enjoyed this episode, please copy the link and share it with a friend. And if you wish to contact me, I am at man underscore overseas on both Instagram and Twitter. Thank you, folks, for listening. Bye-bye.